Hey guys, great to be with you today. We are in a series called I Got You. And the idea is that no matter what you go through in life and no matter how stressful it is, we serve a God that says, I got you, I'll I'll be with you and I'll make a way for you even when there doesn't seem to be a way. I think right now in America, we have all dealt with so much in the last few months. I think it's important for you to hear God say to you, I got you. And so, uh, you know, we've been looking at the book of Psalms and some of my favorite chapters. And today we're gonna be in Psalm chapter 16 and we're gonna close today with communion. So if you don't have bread and juice yet, go ahead and grab something so that you'll be uh, ready. Uh, I hope by now you've heard that we're actually back in person as a church on July 5th. We're gonna celebrate our freedom as a nation. We're gonna celebrate our freedom as a church to gather again as God's people. So make plans uh, to join us in person for Freedom Sunday on July 5th. I'm really looking forward to gathering again and worshiping together. But you know, anytime we say the word worship, we automatically think of the Sunday morning experience. We think dress up, we think sing, maybe grab some coffee, get a donut, uh, make some lunch plans. And you know, for the last three months, we haven't been able to gather together. And so I'm excited to learn how this experience has affected your worship. And, and uh, that goes for everybody listening, whether you're a Christian and have been for several years, or maybe you're not a Christian. Uh, I wonder how has your worship been affected? And some of you might say, man, I'm actually not a Christian, so I don't worship. But I wanna start today by saying that every single one of you is a worshiper. Everyone listening was created by God and for God. And we have this internal worshiping mechanism that is gonna find something in life that that we are gonna say, you are the most valuable thing in my life. And with my actions and my passion and my money and my possessions, all of this is gonna point to the thing that is the most important thing to me. See, we worship things that we think are going to make us happy. But if we choose to worship a counterfeit God, we're gonna experience unhappiness, we're actually gonna experience pain. Uh, So think about it. Almost all of our problems, almost all of our frustrations in life are the result of directing our worship onto counterfeit gods. Uh, The root of all conflict, uh, the, the lack of purpose that you might feel in life, your money problems, the racial tensions in our country, every single one of these problems is actually first a worship problem. So today I wanna talk to you about how we can find ultimate happiness only when we destroy counterfeit gods and put Jesus in the center of our life. And so we're gonna turn to Psalm chapter 16. We're gonna start in verse one today. Here we go. David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Um, 
Well, it's, it's great. He, he starts out the song with a prayer asking God to preserve me. In other words, to, to keep him safe. Now the Hebrew word for preserve, shamar, it means to put a hedge around. So God, uh, put a hedge of protection around me, preserve me. Um, when you preserve food, you're, you're keeping it from spoiling, from being ruined. And so you preserve it to protect it. And that's what he's asking God to do. And then he says, God, I take refuge in you. And refuge means that you come in and you take shelter in God. He's a place of safety and protection for those in trouble. So he declares to God, you are my refuge. And I hope that is a regular prayer for you as you talk to God, that you're asking him to preserve you, that you are uh, running to him to be your refuge. Lord, protect me from sin and I'm trusting in you to do it. So I'm gonna run to you for help. And then he makes this comment. He says, I have nothing good besides you. Now, I don't know about you, but I interact with God uh, when I'm reading his word. And so I'll be reading his word and, and I'll just talk to God. And I, and I read this and, and as I was reading it, I was like, really, Lord? I mean, really, David? Uh, you, you really have nothing else that's good in your life? I mean, you were a king. There, there's nothing else good besides God. Uh, I mean, for me the other night, I bought this thick cut ribeye steak and I was so excited. I, I, I made this coffee chipotle rub. I, I kind of marinated it, let it sit for a while. And then I, I grilled it over some, some charcoal and, and hickory wood. And I, could, I, I was getting excited, man. And I cooked it to a perfect medium temperature. And when I, when I first cut into that steak and I had my uh, first bite, I was like, thank you, Jesus. I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. God, all I need uh, is just another bite. I, I thought I had something really, really good going for me at that moment. And, and then I'm preparing this sermon and I, and I read this part and I think, David, this sounds a little far-fetched. You don't have anything good in your life besides God. Are you telling me the only thing good in your life is God? And it seems like he's being a little overdramatic, maybe even using exaggeration to kind of make his point, but he isn't. You know, Jesus actually said the very same thing in the gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus doesn't actually mean you should hate them. That would be a contradiction of everything Jesus said in his life. So there must be a deeper meaning and there actually is. The word for hate has the meaning of simply loving less. It, it's not the absence of love. And so Jesus's point is that if we are to be his disciples, we won't put anyone above our devotion to him. Nothing can compete with our love for Christ. And so he says, your love for your father, your mother, it cannot trump your love for him. Your love for your children can't trump our love for Christ. And yes, even our love for our spouse shouldn't trump our love and commitment to the Lord. And so what David is saying and what Jesus is saying is that there is nothing is good compared to God. Nothing is good compared to God. I don't have anything good without God. Therefore, you are my ultimate treasure. You are the most valuable relationship in my life. You are my life. Now, in the book of James chapter one, God says that 
uh, God is the source of every good and perfect gift that you and I experience in this life. So it's important that you realize that everything good in your life today has ultimately come from God. Your job was a gift uh, of goodness from the Lord. Your wife, your children, uh, the goodness and gifts uh, from the Lord. Even your race was a gift from God. So no matter what race you are today, that was God's gift to you. Uh, the, The amount of money you have, God's gift to you. Your appetite today, God's gift to you so that you can eat and be healthy. Your ambition to succeed, God's gift from you. It's all a gift from God. But what we do is we take those good gifts and we start to find our happiness in the gifts instead of the gift giver. And those gifts who, uh, those gifts kind of move from being a gift from God to really a competitor of God. Tim Keller always says it like this. He says, we take a good thing and we make it a God thing and that always leads to a bad thing. And so when you take a good thing, like let's just say your appetite and we make it a God thing. In other words, you make it your priority and you think about eating all the time and and you need to eat and you find your security when you eat. And and when you have a bad day, you turn to food to, to comfort you. You've taken a good thing and you've made it a God thing, which has made it a bad thing in your life. And so when you take a good thing like being a parent and so you've got kids and when you take your child and you make that child a God thing. In other words, your entire security is is in identity is wrapped up in being uh, that child's parent, uh, that that child's mother or father. And, uh, you know, when you have a bad day, you turn to your child to make you feel better. Uh, Your child's activities have taken priority over the things of God. You've taken a good thing and you've made it a God thing, which ultimately turns into a bad thing. And so you and I need to realize like David, that nothing is good compared to God. He's the one that has given us all good things. And so we cannot take those good things that he's given to us and turn them into God things because it all comes to and from him. In verse three, he says that uh, he delights in the fellowship of the people of God. Uh, The people that he treasures, in other words, are uh, his relationships with God's people. And so they're the righteous ones, you know, they're they're the noble ones, he says, and and he finds joy in them. Uh, In Ephesians chapter two, the uh, scripture teaches us that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are then a part of God's family. And that means that you and I share a special spiritual bond. It runs deeper than nationality. It runs deeper than uh, race. It runs deeper than blood. And David is saying, because of my relationship with God, I've grown to love the people of God and I want to be with them. And he says, they are the excellent ones. And and I wanna hang out with them. I wanna worship with them. I wanna encourage them. And and I wanna be in the presence of God's people. Now, listen, church, uh, church should not be a place where we just come and, and listen to a sermon. You know, it, it's not a place where, you, you know, you just, you know, watch on TV. No, it's really a community of believers. Church is not the four walls that, that where I'm at today. Um, the, the, the church is made up of a group of people. It's not a place uh, that you go to attend. It's a group of people that you're a part of. And so uh, you, you make a commitment to partner with that group of people. And that commitment is to do something great in the community for God's kingdom. And so let's be careful. Let's not approach Sunday morning 
like a Netflix series. You know, we're watching it on TV every week. And so let's not turn it on today and, and see what's happening next. Let's, let's see if Pastor Trent's gonna entertain us again today or is Pastor Brandon gonna entertain us? No, that's not what Sunday morning's supposed to be. It's not what the Christian life is supposed to be. I mean, I think after three months of not being with each other uh, and, and seeing each other and interacting with each other, I think there should be like this holy ache in the pit of our stomach because we long to gather again, just like David, with the people of God. We, we long to be with each other and, and be in each other's presence. And so I, I hope you are ready to gather again on July 5th for Freedom Sunday. I know I have that holy ache. I cannot wait to be with you. I cannot wait to worship together again. And now in verse four, he says, I, I won't participate in their idol worship. Uh, I'm not gonna participate uh, with the godless who are worshiping idols. I'm not even gonna say their name. I'm not gonna run after other gods, even if everyone else does. In fact, if you run after idols, he says, your sorrows will multiply. So the truth is, it's stupid to turn away from God and run after things that ultimately bring you sorrow. Um, in David's day, people would create images out of wood or stone or metal, and they would worship that image as their God. And today we say, man, we just don't do that. We don't create wooden images to worship. And, and you're right, but you and I do worship idols all the time. Um, an idol is basically any person, any hobby, really anything that is more important to you than God. Um, in fact, I, I wanted to share this definition from Tim Keller. He writes in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He, he asks the question, what is a God or what is an idol? And he answers that by saying, it is anything important to, more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And I, I love that definition because it helps us understand that we are running after things in our life that we believe are gonna bring us ultimate happiness or is gonna bring us uh, security, gonna bring us joy, gonna, gonna bring us purpose and only God can supply those things in our life. Only a relationship with him can actually give us and, and answer those, those deep needs uh, that are within our heart today. And so I wanted to uh, share three questions today that you can ask yourself that can begin to uncover some of the idols that might be in your life today. These are tough questions today, but, but I hope you'll, you'll, you'll join with me in, in answering them. The first question to help uncover an idol is this, what do you love? Think about that for a minute. Um, what we tend to love uh, we, we tend to daydream about, um, which means you, you, you and I tend to daydream about our idols. Uh, so what do you spend your time thinking a lot about? Uh, idols start to control your thoughts. So, so what do you think about most? What do you, what do you hope for the most? Uh, what, what I tend to love, I tend to think about. And, and so it's, it's easy for us to kind of identify those idols by thinking about those things that I tend to think about the most. Now, in America, we love the idea of falling in love. And so almost every movie has some kind of love story in it. And what's happening is that we're actually creating an idol out of romantic love. 
Uh, remember the movie well, with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston? I know I'm kind of dating myself a little bit today, but the movie was called The Bodyguard. And in the movie, she sang a, a song called I Have Nothing. And you remember the lyrics to that song, you know, kind of at the very end, it got really big. And uh, she said, uh, I have nothing. I have nothing if I don't have you. And you know, the truth is there are a lot of Americans who really believe that. They think if so-and-so doesn't go out with me, I'll have nothing. Um, If so-and-so breaks up with me, then I'll have nothing. Um, And Americans are kind of on this search for this one, you know, true soulmate. And when we find that person, uh, that person is going to love me unconditionally and they're going to make me happy and and they're going to make me feel secure and they're going to make me feel important. And I want you to hear me today. Nobody can live up to that standard. And David says, if you try to do that, your sorrows will multiply. And that's one of the reasons why there are so many marriages ending in divorce today, these unrealistic expectations because they've made an idol out of love instead of a covenant relationship as God intended. Maybe you didn't realize it, but if you were honest today, maybe you have begun to make or already have made love your God. Uh, The dating scene is filled with it. Here's the second question we wanna wrestle with. What do you trust? Now, what do you trust? Think about it. When, when David says God is his refuge, he is saying, God, you're the one that I trust. You're the one that I know is gonna watch over me. So, so God is the one who's gonna meet my needs, protect me when harm comes my way. However, idols slip into that spot so easily. Think about this for a minute. A lot of us are trusting in money today to give us security and to meet and supply our needs. Uh, But the data shows us that only 2% of Americans think of themselves as upper class. Even though making $32,000 a year puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You know, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, Trent, uh, I think my biggest problem is I just spend too much money on myself. Uh, I, I think I'm just really greedy and, and I'm beginning to realize that it's, it's hurting my marriage and, and my walk with God. I, I, just, I just don't hear that often. Actually, I've never heard it at all because greed hides in our blind spots. Uh, but man, do we love and trust in money. So think about it today. What are you really trusting in today to give you security. For many of you, if you answered that question truthfully, you'd have to say that you're trusting in yourself. Here's how you can tell if you are trusting in yourself. Think about this. If there's a relational problem uh, to solve in your life, maybe your marriage is going through some difficulties right now. Um, and, 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 and listen, if you're only trusting and relying on your, yourself to get through the issue, you know that you're trusting in yourself. Now, how do you know if you're trusting in yourself? Think about it. Uh, Do you talk to God about it? Um, How often? Ever? Um, How much time in the Word have you spent about the situation? Ever? Much? Any? Um, If you're embarrassed to talk to your Christian friends and and ask them for help or advice, uh, most likely, you, you know why? Because you're trusting in you, you think you're all alone and, and you're the one that has to fix the problem and, and you're gonna grin and bear it and you're gonna, you're gonna figure it out. Listen, I know this is a tough question and 
It's a tough question to really wrestle with. And some of you, I'll just be honest, some of you aren't man enough to be honest today. Uh, you, you present this, I'm big and bad on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying. And your God doesn't know what to do with your problem because your God is you. And the worst part is that you'll never know God. Not, you'll never really, really understand and know God as long as you're trusting in something else. Here's the third question that we can ask to unearth these idols. What do you obey? What do you obey? Um, now it's interesting, Americans love the idea of autonomy. We love the idea that we are masters of our own domain. You know, we're, we, we love this individualized uh, culture that we've created. And we think that we're independent people, but we really are not independent people. We're, we're really all obeying a master today. And that master is your God. It's, it's what you're worshiping today. And so think about this, what are you obeying? Uh, the scripture teaches us that when we obey the Lord, it brings blessing and joy. But when we disobey the Lord, it brings heartache and pain. So pay attention to what you are obeying and pay attention to what actually controls and, 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 and what monitors those, those really powerful emotions in your life. Think about those powerful emotions like anger and lust and anxiety and sadness. Um, how, how are you obeying those emotions? Or are you able to have some self-control and, and, and are they under the Lordship of Jesus and, and, and as you handle those things? I mean, um, think about it. What makes you lose your temper? What makes you worry? Uh, think about those things, write them down. Wherever that anger is coming from is where you're gonna find and discover your idol. You gotta dig deep and you've gotta ask, why am I worrying about this problem? And, and as soon as you ask why, you keep asking why. And you might have to ask why five or six different times until you get down to the bottom of where that idol is actually living. And listen, that idol is causing your sorrows to multiply. So what do you obey today? Is it the Lord or is it something or someone else? Let's keep reading in Psalm 16. We're gonna go to verse five now. David continues, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel and the night also my heart instructs me. Now, uh, I love this in, in verse five here. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion. Uh, this is a metaphor that, that actually points back to the time when God divided up, up the promised land and gave portions of the land to the various tribes of Israel. Every tribe was given a portion and that portion was to meet their needs. And now the comparison was that the land they possessed was actually going to supply for them and meet those needs. And in the same way, uh, it is true that those who make God their portion, God will supply everything they need. God will meet all of your needs. And so that's the comparison. And then he goes to another um, uh, metaphor here and he says, the Lord is my cup. Uh, now this is interesting. Uh, I, when I was uh, six or seven years old, uh, Christmas time rolled around and, and at the elementary school that I went to, they would do this like little, this little store and your parents would give you money and then uh, that, you would go into that store and you would buy Christmas gifts for family members or whoever you wanted to. And, and I remember that I, I, one year that I, I bought my dad this orange cup 
and, and it was like this mug, plastic mug, had, the, had this handle on it. And it said Daytona Beach on the cup. Now, as a six, seven-year-old, I, I had never been to Daytona. I didn't even know what Daytona was, but I was drawn to it for whatever reasons. And I gave it to dad for Christmas. And what's hilarious is that after 30 plus something years, he still has that cup and it's his favorite cup. Now, I don't know why we all kind of have that favorite coffee mug at home or, or whatever, you know, we're, we're drawn to certain cups. And, but in the Bible, the cup was a symbol of a person's purpose, essentially their destiny. And right before Jesus, you remember, right before he was arrested, he prayed, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will. And so the cup Jesus had to face was his purpose for being here, to endure God's wrath for sin by dying on the cross for your sin, for my sin. The life that you live is the cup then that you've been given to drink. So everyone has a cup. In other words, everyone has a purpose. And, and David means that he's satisfied with the Lord's purpose for his life. He's saying, you know, my purpose is found in the Lord. You're my cup, Lord. You're essentially my favorite cup, Lord. And, and so many of you have, have tried your version of finding purpose in life. Maybe you've tried another religion. Uh, you've tried no religion at all. I'm gonna be an atheist. And, and uh, you still felt empty. You still felt like it was all kind of meaningless. And David says, you'll find your purpose and the meaning of life when the Lord becomes your cup. And you see the cup that Jesus offers you today is the only one that satisfies. It's the cup of blessing. Uh, it's the cup of joy. And if I reach for any other cup, I'm reaching for a counterfeit God and my sorrows are going to be multiplied. Um, in verse five here, he says that you hold my lot. And so he's saying all that the Lord has given to him is secure because it is the Lord who holds it. I'm not holding on to it. Thankfully, if it were up to me, I'd mess it up. I'd drop it. I wouldn't be able to secure it. But he says, no. It's the Lord that holds it. He's leading me. And so because he's holding it, I'm gonna worship him and I'm gonna praise him. In verse seven, he says, even in the night also, my heart instructs me. David is saying, the Lord is my counselor and he counsels me in the night. You know, some tend to think that in the Old Testament, God spoke out loud all the time. And we say, God, I wish you would just speak out loud and tell me what to do. Tell, tell me what I'm supposed to do in this situation. And can't you just give me this burning bush and a voice telling me, you know? And yes, that happened in the Old Testament, but it was not the norm. David is saying that God speaks to him inwardly in his spirit, instructing him. It's not audible. It's not a burning bush, but it's internally and when does he do that? David says, in the night. Now, why at night? Um, I found that often that the Lord will instruct you when you lie down at night. Now, think about it. When, when you're trying to go to sleep, it's finally quiet in your house. Uh, everyone's in their own you know, areas and uh, you finally put your phone down. Uh, all the voices are quiet and, and we're able to better distinguish really the voice of God. Now, if you always have your phone on, if you always have your TV on, um, listen, you're not gonna be able to fall asleep or you know, your, your mind is gonna be constantly wrapped up in that. You, you haven't really left any space in your mind to actually hear from the Lord. Um, now, when my wife and I go to sleep, you know, she has this spiritual gift 
of falling asleep. I, I don't think that's a biblical thing, but she literally can, you know, her head touches the pillow and she is out. And uh, the other night we were like in this deep conversation and, and uh, I, you know, we're talking about some, you know, real issues and things that we're working on and things. And, and so I'm, I'm saying, hey, you know, what about this? And it's my turn to talk. And, you know, she, she kind of puts her head down and, and here I am bearing my soul. And uh, all of a sudden she's not saying anything. And I'm like, honey, honey, uh, you know, she's out cold. I'm like, you're not even listening to me. And, uh, and she just, out cold, like that is a spiritual gift. Me, I'm laying there staring at the wall all night long. Um, and, and I think it's because sometimes at night we have a hard time going to sleep because in that quiet space, we're troubled by something and our minds start to race. And David is saying, when my mind is troubled at night, you counsel me. When my mind starts to fill up with anxious thoughts, I'm gonna say, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you. Now, maybe that means uh, my wife is, is better at trusting in the Lord than me. I don't know, probably so. Uh, but I have to work really hard at really slowing down my mind. I need to read. I've got to watch a boring documentary. I've got to slow my mind down. But when my mind does slow down in that quietness, I get ideas from God. I, I hear God whisper something into my spirit. And it's, and it's why I used to have a pen and paper beside my bed. I'd write stuff down and I'd just use my phone to, to write it down or whatever. But the Lord will speak to you. He'll do the same thing for you. If you will slow down your mind and you will listen to his voice in the quietness of your room. And, and that can be at night for you. And, and even as you go to sleep, people tell me, well, sometimes I pray as I'm going to sleep and uh, sometimes I'll be in the middle of the prayer and I'll fall asleep. And I, I just don't want that to happen. I think, man, what, 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 a, what a great thing that the last person that you talk to before you drift off uh, to sleep is actually the Lord. I, I don't think that's a, that's a bad thing. So continue to spend that time with God. So let's keep going here in verse eight. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. Circle that in your Bible. And my whole being rejoices. Circle that. My flesh also dwells secure. So we, we're getting these ultimate needs met, not in myself, not in another person, not in a hobby or money. This is all coming because God is at his right hand. He's not to be shaken. So there's gladness, there's rejoicing, there's security for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which means I'm, I'm not gonna see ultimate punishment. I'm not gonna be in devastation, in uh, punishment for my sin because of my faith in, in God. Or, so my, my future is secure. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. There it is again. And at your right hand are pleasures, not just for today, not just for next week, forevermore. Now in verse nine, he says, therefore, anytime you see that word, you've got to ask, what's it there for? And what he's saying is uh, in light of what we've just learned about God, when you stop worshiping counterfeit gods and you put God in his rightful place in your life, you get happiness. He says, my whole being is rejoicing. When you put counterfeit gods to death, 
You love the Lord first. You trust the Lord first. You obey him first. He says, I cannot be shaken. God has me. Uh, He's not gonna let me go. He's my refuge. And so when the storms come, I'm gonna find shelter in him. I'm gonna find strength there. And David is confident in God's love and power over him. Um, Now, when I choose to direct my worship to God, and when I choose to love him, when I choose to trust him and obey him, and, and I believe in the gospel, I receive his forgiveness um, through the blood of Jesus, I can stand in his presence and there I can find life, joy, pleasure, and happiness. Uh, but listen, this precise meaning of David's words here in verses eight through 11 are actually saying something even deeper and even more. This is actually referring to Jesus. And you might say, how do you know that, Trent? And I know it because in Acts chapter two, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter is preaching a sermon to a crowd of thousands of people. And he's actually preaching from Psalm 16, verses eight through 11. And and he says, listen, uh, let me interpret this passage for you guys. He says, David died. His tomb gives proof that he died. And so David must have been talking about someone else here. And Peter says he was talking about Jesus because Jesus is the one that actually rose from the dead. And God did not let him see corruption, right? Jesus was the holy one that did not see corruption. And Peter is saying David could only experience the truth of these verses in a future sense because of the future resurrection that we'll experience. But but Jesus actually fulfilled this scripture because he was actually raised from the grave, which is why we can worship Jesus in joy and experience happiness in this life because the tomb is empty. And that means when I'm going, I'm going to live with him forevermore when I leave this world. And the same is true for you if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. So how do you and I find true happiness? You've got to give up the counterfeit gods and you've got to love Jesus first. You've got to trust Jesus first. You've got to obey Jesus first. He alone offers the cup of purpose and joy in this life. And today we're actually going to end our time together by sharing the cup of communion. So if you want to go ahead and grab your bread and and, uh, prepare yourself, you know, the Bible never tells us to remember the, the, the birth of Jesus, even though we do that at Christmas every year. Jesus actually tells us to remember his death. And so uh, today I want to, I want to end as we take the bread, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you. He paid it for me on the cross. And, and uh, to do that first, let's, let's pray together. And uh, the scripture tells us to confess sin and re- recommit our life to the Lord and really reconnect to Him when we take the Lord's Supper. So let me ask you to bow your heads and, and let's spend this moment with the Lord together as we prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank You for the broken body And as we take this bread today, we are reminded that his sacrifice enables us to have forgiveness, to have hope and to have heaven. And it's because of him that we can have joy and meaning and purpose in this life. And so we remember that today. God, we are thankful for that today. And we wanna continue to live with passion today 
uh, because we trust that you love us. We trust that you are our refuge and you're gonna preserve us uh, no matter what we're facing today. Thank you for the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Today, if you would like someone to contact you, if you'd like to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, if you'd just like someone to pray with you, I wanna encourage you to text the number that's coming up on the screen right now. And we've got some great folks that wanna encourage you, pray with you, help you on your spiritual journey today. Listen, as your pastor, I cannot wait for us to gather and, and be together in person. We're praying for you. We love you. And we cannot wait for next Sunday.